Okay, good morning, everybody. Uh, if we've never been introduced, my name is Connor Bales. I serve as the pastor here at the North Campus of Prestonwood and so excited uh, to be with you today. If you're a guest, as Tasha mentioned a moment ago, we're really excited to have you here in worship and uh, just want to emphasize a few things she did uh, before we get started, and that is that if you're not uh, subscribed to our Proclaim text thread, I would encourage you to do that. Please just text the word Proclaim to the number 55125, and if you're not in the habit of reading God's word regularly, this is such an easy way to introduce you to that discipline. And so we send you a couple of scriptures, not uh, an overwhelming amount, uh, but just a few scriptures every morning, and then I record a two or three minute uh, a devotional video for you to follow along, just some thoughts to help stimulate uh, what it is that we're reading together. And so just want to encourage you to do that. And also want to make sure and invite you Wednesday night uh, for our prayer gathering at six o'clock. We're praying uh, in anticipation of Proclaim and believing that God's best is ahead for us as a church, but we need uh, to go to God and ask him to supernaturally provide. And so it's a 30-minute prayer service. It'll happen in the gathering, which is the glass uh, bold room in the lobby or the atrium of the church here, and would invite all of you to attend if you are able. Now, grab your copy of God's Word and go with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. I am really excited uh, to study this particular subject this morning. Uh, because I believe it, it is important. But I'll be honest with you in that this morning's subject of study is one that is within the church not always popular. There are just some subjects of discussion that frankly just feel awkward. You've probably uh, had conversations with people where this has been evidenced before. Like uh, you're having a conversation with someone, they ask you, hey, so what are y'all doing this summer? You say, oh man, we're going to the beach. Yeah, we used to go to the beach and then it was the sharks. Right, So then all of a sudden it's just super awkward because you're like, well, that's where we said we're going. Now we won't swim. Thank you. So it just gets awkward, right? Well, when you talk about the subject of money in the church, it gets awkward. And I don't know why that is because the Bible is not silent on the subject of money. And here's the good news. Our commitment to you at Prestonwood is that we're never going to tell you what we think. But together we're going to discover what God's word has said. And God's word is not silent on the subject of our money, how it is that God has entrusted for us to steward things for a little while, knowing that he is the owner of all things forever. And so it is with the subject of study. And, and, and this particular sermon this morning comes right out of Matthew chapter 6, which is the famous Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapters 5 through 7, uh, Jesus talks a lot about the things that are going to burden the hearts of people. And he talks about things like um, anger and forgiveness. He talks about generosity toward the needing. He talks about spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting. He talks about uh, the calling for a personal holiness. And, and, and then he talks about this subject of money right here in the middle of Matthew chapter 6. And then on the heels of this conversation, he moves into the subject of anxiety and why God's people should grow in their trust of him. And why do you think that Jesus would plug the subject of money right in the middle of all this conversation regarding a personal devotion to God and then follow it with a conversation on anxiety? I believe it is this reason. Jesus wants us to see you cannot divorce your money from your motive. 
meaning that what it is that you value in regards to your personal devotion will show up in how you steward the resources that God has entrusted to your care. And then he chases this conversation with the subject of anxiety because I think Jesus knows that we are often tempted toward worrying about our finances. In fact, according to a Purdue University survey for adults in the United States, financial stress was the number one source of personal worry. Financial stress. 73% of adults who suffer from stress uh, uh, define the, the primary reason for that as uh, financial. It was higher than the other leading causes of stress. Politics, 59% of people. Uh, work, 49%. And family, 46%. So financial stress was the number one cause of personal worry, and it's not even close uh, by comparison with the others. And so thanks be to God that his word is not silent on the subject of our finances. And so we're going to see together what his word has to say about that. Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 19. We'll read all the way through verse 24. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. If you're there, say, I got it. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is a lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. I'm going to show you what I believe Jesus brings to our attention. That is three specific ways or three specific places where money should matter to us. Three specific areas. And so we're going to mark and highlight in our Bibles a lot today. If you're a note taker, I want to encourage you to just jot a few things down that I believe Jesus makes crystal clear for us. The first thing is this, money matters to our heart. Money matters to our heart. Look again at verses 19 through 21. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. If you mark or highlight in your Bible, underline that phrase. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Mark and underline that phrase. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Verse 21, get the whole thing. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Underline all of verse 21. Because Jesus juxtaposes two realities. I would say this, he juxtaposes two options for the people of God to understand and how we are to steward our resources. We can either be a people who lay up for ourselves treasures on earth, or we can be a people who lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. So let's talk about those two things. First, as it relates to treasures on earth, I would say the definition of treasures on earth would include things like our money, like our possessions, our nice things, like our clothes, our cars. And I want you to see this, okay? Because Jesus does not demonize those nice things. He does not demonize money. He does not demonize possessions. He does not demonize uh, having nice clothes and nice cars. 
but he emphasizes the need to not elevate those things ahead of that which is eternal. You with me? So Mary and I had dinner with a couple a few weeks ago, and they were telling us about their um, uh, activities over the Christmas break. And uh, right around the Christmas uh, time, uh, they were out as a family having dinner or going somewhere and uh, they have a, 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 the husband, has been, they've been a very uh, blessed family. They have a really nice car. The husband treated himself. His wife said it was his midlife crisis. I was like, awesome, that's a good one. So he have a really nice car. So they were out to dinner, and uh, somebody ran a red light and crashed into their car. And they were telling us this. And knowing how nice their car is, I cringed. I was like, you know, like nervous for them. And he blessed me when he said this. You know what? It's just a car. It's just a car. Right, So it's not bad to have that nice thing, and Jesus never says that. But it's important that we know we don't elevate that thing uh, over that which matters for eternity. That's the difference between treasures on earth right, that are corrupted versus treasures in heaven that are incorruptible and will last forever. The definition of treasures in heaven would include things like our personal holiness, our passion for evangelism, our obedience to God's word, our discipleship of others in that truth. These things have eternal value. In fact, it's our investment in our own walk and our desire to see others walk closely with God. Look at me. That's what will matter in a million years. That's what will matter in eternity is how close we're walking with God and our desire to see others walk closely with him as well. Jesus said these heavenly treasures, these pursuits that have eternal value, they can't be destroyed by earthly troubles, by either uh, a fallen uh, conditions like uh, uh, moths and rust, or uh, by fallen people like thieves and, and robbers. These things cannot be destroyed. Our willingness to see value in what is eternal Versus what is temporal ensures that our priorities and our investments between the two will always be weighted appropriately. But let's be honest. The church, and I'm talking about the big C, hasn't always gotten this right. So you've heard some bad teaching inevitably if you spend any amount of time in the church on the subject of money and how we are called to steward the resources entrusted to our care. I'll give you a couple of examples. One is commonly referred to as prosperity theology. And prosperity theology is a false doctrine. It holds to a belief that if you follow Jesus, if you belong to God, that you will receive a financial reward for that faith. But that never shows up in the scriptures. It never shows up in the scriptures. In fact, Jesus commends a widow for giving all that she had, which was the smallest amount of currency available at that time. And and evidently, she was a faithful woman who worshiped God with her generosity, and she never experienced any inordinate financial blessing as a result or the response of that faith. But prosperity theology would want to link your financial blessing with your willingness to follow God. Well, that's like treating Jesus like a genie in the bottle. That's a heresy, right? But we're a pendulum people, and so what's been the pendulum swing of that theology? Poverty theology, which says that if you follow God, you must divest yourself of all material possessions. In order to be a a faithful follower of Jesus, you can't have anything nice at all. Well, show me that in the scriptures, right? 
That's not at all true because there are over and over again people in the scriptures that are found faithful and they are blessed financially in their faithfulness. What we must be a people who, instead of uh, ascribing to a prosperity or a poverty theology, we must see that there is a gospel generosity. This is what is commanded of us. Just think about the most popular scripture in the New Testament, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he, what? He gave. Right? So we are the recipients of the greatest gift in all of human history. God lavished in generosity grace upon us that is unmerited, is undeserved. So we are to be a people who have received that, then then live generously toward the world around us. We don't demonize the nice things, and when we are able to have them because we can afford them, because we are stewarding well what is entrusted to us, then praise God. But we are also not to elevate them because we understand there are differences between treasures on earth and treasures in heaven. And listen, this is a matter of the heart, which is why verse 21 is so significant. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The matter of money is a matter of the heart. I would say it this way. What we do with what we have will reveal what we believe and to whom we belong. What we do with what we have will will reveal what we believe and to whom we belong. So if we believe that life on earth is as good as it gets, then of course we're going to spend everything we have to try to pursue as many things in this life as we are able. Right? Because we don't believe there's anything of eternal significance or value that comes beyond whatever it is that we can experience in the here and the now. But we are an eternal people. In fact, Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes and says, God has written eternity onto the hearts of men. So we are all people created to spend eternity somewhere. And so we should steward what is entrusted to us with an eternal perspective in mind in response to that. Money matters to our heart. Here's the second thing Jesus shows us. Money matters to our mind. It matters to our mind. I'll show you in the text, verses 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Now, when Jesus talks about the eye as a lamp for the body and the differences between taking in light or taking in that which is darkness, it might seem at first to be disconnected from his conversation about money, but it's not. It's completely connected. Jesus is illustrating the way in which we see things having a direct correlation on how we steward and spend in response to that. Because what we see, now watch this, what we look at and what we look for will determine what we are going to think about. It will occupy the thoughts in our mind. If you think about this, this is what happens. Your vision is a uh, a gateway to the thoughts you're going uh, to hold. Your vision, what it is that you take in through our eyes, it is the gateway, it is the mechanism that then occupies and stimulates and creates the thoughts in our mind. And so Jesus is saying you can either consume visually things that are healthy, things of light, or you consume visually things that are unhealthy, things that are dark. The idea of consuming things of light means that we give our mind, which then informs our thoughts to things that are healthy. Again, not to demonize nice things. You hear me? 
but to prioritize nice things in light of an eternal perspective. So when, here's how it would work practically. Uh, when we're thinking about how we're going to uh, spend or what we're going to do with our bonus this year or with that extra money that we weren't anticipating getting back from the IRS or whatever it is, when we think about those things, right? So we're definitely going to take in visually opportunities to spend that money, those resources. But what we visually give ourselves over to will then practically fill our mind with the things that are either healthy, they're eternal, or they're dark, and they terminate on us. And so I even heard a realtor uh, uh, in the last couple of weeks who she and her husband were praying about what God might want them to do toward the Proclaim initiative. And so they were having conversations at home, and she said she got a call from someone who said they wanted to sell their house. She thought it was months away, and uh, then they called her a few days after that and said, no, we want to list it now. She said, well, I don't have anything up and ready. We haven't taken our photos. We haven't gotten the marketing done. And they said, that's okay. If you'll just put it on the MLS, we'll see what happens. They got four offers all over asking. God made it clear to her, okay, give your commission toward this, this work. So it's a healthy thought. It's a way in which we can think about what it is that God has entrusted to us and whether or not it has eternal value. Now, juxtapose that with things that are dark, consuming the things that are dark. That would be giving your mind over to things that are not healthy and therefore the body suffers a compromised corruption as a result. I will tell you the number one place where I think we get tripped up as people. You ready? And that is to what we visually take in on social media. It looks like this. And what happens when we're taking that in? We think, God, they took a better vacation than we did. God, they drive a nicer car. Can I just love you well enough? Let's, let's just take the mask off for a moment, okay? That's not real. That's not real. When's the last time you went on family vacation and the first photo you took is the one you posted? You know your kids are acting crazy and your husband's eyes are rolling. Stop it. That's not real. Look at me. There's no bad breath on Facebook. It's not real. Now, again, I'm not trying to demonize that. I'm trying to help us understand that when we consume that, it will end up becoming the thief of the joy that God desires for us to have for with whatever it is that he has chosen to bless us with. But when we're comparing ourselves with everyone else, then we are consuming darkness, and it is causing a place in our heart and our mind to be thinking about how we can hoard and hold on to what God might want us to give away. I'll just, like... I'll just further illustrate it. So this isn't in my notes, but I'm thinking about it. So um, I thought about it in 830, and I'm going to show you why. In 2018, when we were living in East Texas, our church gave us sabbatical. It was a very difficult year for us. My daughter Hannah had a great deal of health complications, and it was a great time for a break. So we took a family trip. We have a friend who owns a ranch in Graham, Texas, which is kind of West Texas. And so we went out there uh, for a week in the summer, and I had this big idea because I wanted us to do something significant as a family. It had been a really hard year for us. And so I told Mary, and she thought it was a great idea, let's dress everybody up nicely one night. 
And uh, so we'll wear nice dress shorts and a collared shirt for the guys. And the girls will look really sharp. And, and so we'll go, because Grandma's not far from Possum Kingdom. I said, we'll go to a nice restaurant on Possum Kingdom Lake. And we'll take a really nice photo with the lake in the background. And it'll be awesome. It could even be Christmas card. Mary's like, perfect. So we loaded everybody up in the car. And we started driving toward uh, the lake. And what you don't know is that my daughter had all those health complications. And the complications of the complications were that she had significant digestive issues. She'll leave it there, all right? But when you have a diapered child and digestive issues and it's 9 million degrees in the summer, that's not an awesome combination. Okay, so we tried to go to the first restaurant and it wasn't wheelchair accessible. Turns out to be a good thing. It was a bar, not a restaurant. We tried to go to the second restaurant. It was closed. Now I'm getting frustrated. The gas light comes on. We've already had to pull over and change a dirty diaper in 147 degree heat. So I'm in a great place. The gas light comes on in the Suburban. Now we have to pull into a gas station. My kids know I'm already at here because I had this whole idea how the night was going to go. And so my kids look in the gas station window and it says pizza sold here. And so they're like, dad, we can just have pizza. I'm like, we're not having gas station pizza. All right. So I'm like, forget it. We'll just go back to Graham. They have a great barbecue restaurant and we'll go there. And so we never got the family photo, but we go to the barbecue restaurant. We pull into the parking lot, and I'm thinking, barbecue sounds good. I've had 45 angry minutes to think about it. So when we go to the restaurant, it's closed. <laughs> so I'm going to show you a picture from the Chicken Express <laughs> in Graham, Texas. And guess what? That made the 2018 Bales Family Christmas card. <laughs> My point is this, okay? It's never what it seems right? It's never what it seems. And, and so when we allow the things we take in visually, which are going to stimulate our mind mentally to be a comparative analysis of what God has entrusted to us, comparing it with what he has entrusted to someone else, it will keep us from stewarding, sharing, and being generous toward others around us. And we need to guard our hearts against this. This is a matter of the heart, and it matters to our minds. Here's the third thing Jesus said. It matters to our soul. It matters to our, to our soul. I'm going to show you in the text again. Read verse 24 with me. I think this is the most direct and most convicting. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. If you, uh, if you know the original language, that word serve there, it could be translated elsewhere as the idea of worship. So you cannot worship God and money. And, and while this statement didn't originate with me, it definitely resonates with me. And I would say when it comes to uh, our worshiping God with what it is that he has entrusted to our care, we will either worship money as our God or we will worship God with our money. But no one can serve two masters. We will either worship money as our God or we'll be a people who worship God with our money. And so let's take those two things that Jesus brings to our attention. The differences between money and God. No one can serve two masters. Comes to the subject of money and our generosity. There is a false belief and it has permeated the church which says, if I had more money, I'd be more generous. But that has been proven untrue statistically over and over and over again. In fact, CNBC released a survey that asked people this question, how much annual income would you need in order to feel rich? And the answers varied greatly 
uh, by dollar amount based upon what a person earned. But what was interesting and consistent is that regardless of how much someone earns today, they would need to earn more tomorrow in order to feel rich. John Rockefeller, uh, uh, at the time he was asked, was the richest man in the world. And he was asked, how much money is enough? And do you know what his answer was? A dollar more. Right? And so there's this idea within all of us that if we're asking money to fill a void that only is reserved and created for God, it's always going to leave us feeling unsatisfied. Again, this is why I've said to you many times that generosity is a gospel issue. God has been so generous toward us. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians that he is lavished upon us. Think about that word. What a great word. Every spiritual blessing, that that is what God has given us in Christ Jesus, that none of us are deserving of forgiveness. None of us are deserving of salvation. Not one of us in this room is deserving of eternal life. But God, in his infinite generosity, has chosen to give that to us. And so we have received what we didn't deserve. Shouldn't we be a people who live open-handedly, generously, in response to that? Paul tells the Corinthian church, this is a gospel issue. He says this, 2 Corinthians 8 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Uh, there's a, a, a company called Nucleus Giving, works with churches, helping churches steward and uh, uh, resources. And over the last few years, they have helped churches receive $335 million in gifts through this company's uh, um, uh, programming. And, and they re released some uh, 2023 results of a survey and found this information. 80% of total gifts received came from 20% of givers. Less than 20% of the gifts are regular, meaning weekly or monthly. Less than 20% are regular gifts. And almost 50% of all the gifts are under $100, but it's the 3% of gifts over 1,000 that make up the largest volume of giving totals. So again, when it talks about uh, giving or being generous toward the things of God, here's what I would tell you. I don't believe God asks for equal gift. I believe he asks for equal sacrifice. Because you can't serve two masters, right? You cannot serve both God and money. We're either going to worship money as our God and we'll end up feeling unsatisfied or we'll worship God with our money. And so if our money matters, what does it look like to worship God with it? It means we give generously to something that matters for eternity, where thieves can't steal it, where moth and rust can't destroy it. And I just happen to believe the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I say that, I mean the big C, the church, the redeemed people of God everywhere just happens to be his primary plan A to change the world and make an eternal difference. And we want to be found faithful as our local expression of that here at Prestonwood. This is why we proclaim. Turn your attention to the screen. I joined Prestonwood uh, right around 1996. Um, in honor of Arapahoe, the original location. Um, my brother and I were there for the groundbreaking of Plano. And uh, then while I was attending Plano, I met Stacy. When I met Lance, um, 
We dated, got married, and we made Preston with Plano our church home. We made the decision to move to Prosper. Pastor Graham had made an announcement about the church buying land. And we knew why we had moved to Prosper is uh, to, to join in. When we started going to the home groups, we just kind of jumped all in from there. It's a church community, it's a family, right? And uh, it's, it's been a blessing to our family, uh, being involved with Preston Wood has given us a lot of opportunities and um, to serve, like Stacy said, is, you know, serving was a big deal for, for me and it never gets old. It's been an honor to, to be a part of the church, part of serve the church, uh, serve the community. And uh, it's been a blessing to see God's, God's work on this church. It's been an amazing experience. I just see um, God's faithfulness when I look around now and I see new faces and new people joining. And I just see all of the, the fruits of our labors, those days, the, the hard days in the beginning. And it's just, it's such a blessing and it's emotional to see how God has worked through us and used us to further his kingdom. Our world, our, our country needs a revival. And we need more Christians to go out and be leaders, to share their faith and to bring the lost home. That's everything. That's our calling. That's what we're, we're here to do. I would encourage you to give, um, not out of a feeling of obligation, but out of that grateful heart. Look around and see what God has done for you and for others and for this church. And just give knowing that you can't outgive Him. And you're going to be blessed in so many different ways. It just shows, you know, that God's been involved in this from day one. So, clearly, the Bible says our money matters, right? It matters to our heart, it matters to our mind, and yes, it matters to our soul. It's significant. The question is, does it matter to us, right? And, and so, the reason why, I'll just tell you today, because listen, this is not a popular sermon to preach. I get it. Like, some of you have been so awkward since the moment you heard we were talking about money today. And that's cool, man. I get it. Um, but I, that's the reason why we put the scriptures up on the screen. I want you to know, I didn't make that up. We read it together. Right? We read it together. This matters to God enough that he uh, uh, has preserved it so that you and I might know what it looks like to faithfully steward what he has entrusted to us. This is the point. This is the reason why we're talking about that. But I understand that everybody in this room comes at this subject from a different place. Right? So I want to be as practical as I can in helping you think, how do you apply this truth? If we're going to be a Bible people, if we're going to be a people of the book, and Matthew chapter 6 clearly says that this subject matters to our hearts and to our minds and to our soul, then how do you respond? Well, this depends on where you are and what it is that you're bringing into the equation today. So I would say this, if you're not in the habit or pattern of giving at all, if you're not in the habit of pattern or of giving at all, my encouragement to you is to start today. Start today. And if you're not comfortable giving to the local church, although I believe that is God's best plan A to bring about an eternal difference in the world, then find something kingdom-minded, gospel-centered, and start now being generous toward that work. Don't wait until you think you can afford it. Don't wait until you think you have more so that you can participate within it. Trust God and be obedient to what it is that we read together, okay? 
if you are not in the habit or pattern of giving regularly, my encouragement to you is to start now. Start now. And listen, some of you are here today and you're like, I'm just not that good with numbers. I'm just not that good with budgets. I get that totally. But what I would say is if you will reach out to us and ask for help in creating and developing a budget so that you can organize and categorize all that God is entrusting to you so that you can be disciplined enough to participate in faithful, regular uh, generosity. All you have to do is ask for help. There are godly men and women in this church who specialize in this. They are just so gifted and good at organizing and building out family budgets. We'll help you. We'll pair you up with those people. And in confidence, they'll sit across the table from you and help you organize your finances so that you can be disciplined enough to practice in this New Testament calling to be generous toward the things of God. And, and then lastly, I would say, if you're not in the habit or pattern of giving sacrificially above and beyond the tithe, which is what we're asking everybody to do with Proclaim, then I want to encourage you to start now. L let's just be honest. God doesn't need our money. He owns everything. He always has. He doesn't need our money. He is asking for our obedience, right? And that's what we want to be found faithful uh, with is being obedient to God and pursuing the opportunities that is obvious he has entrusted to us. Look around. God is doing something here. And I just want you to know as your pastor, I think I've said this to you before, but I'm going to hear you. I would never, ever ask you to do something I'm not doing. So Mary and I practice tithing. It is a regular rhythm in our family's life. We tithe. In addition to that, we give above that toward a kingdom-minded ministry work as God has prompted and stirred our hearts to do. And proclaim will be a part of that going forward. We are cinching our belt and we are sacrificially giving toward this work. I believe with all of my heart as your pastor, this is the right and the responsible next step for us as a church. I believe that. And I would never ask you to do something that I'm unwilling to myself. Mary and I are all in, which is why I wanted all of you in your chairs today to have access to this commitment card because next Sunday is Commitment Sunday. And the only way we're going to be able to accomplish this is if we all roll up our sleeves and decide that we're willing to be all in. And so I'm asking all of you to prayerfully consider what that might be because our money matters. It matters to our hearts. It matters to our minds. It matters to our soul. The question is, is it going to matter enough to us. This is a gospel issue. If God has been gracious in Christ Jesus to, to lavish upon us every spiritual blessing under the heavenly places, then we ought to be a people who respond in generosity toward all that he is entrusting to our care. That's the challenge I think God is issuing to you and to me. And so, if you are here today and, uh, and you don't have a relationship with God, then your action step needs to begin by placing your faith and trust in him. Maybe you're here today and you've already given your life to Christ. God has already radically saved you from sin, but you've never been biblically baptized by immersion. Well, Stella is the hero who exercised all the courage that you should need today. Like she was boldly baptized. And so we want to celebrate that 
uh, with you. And so if you would come forward and tell us about the decision that you have made and that your desire to be baptized, or maybe you would say, okay, I'm all in with Prestonwood, so I want to join this church and link arms with these people and run hard and fast after everything that God is doing right here. We want you to come and to join with us. Maybe you're under conviction today. You need prayer. You want to pray with your spouse or with a friend or a life group member, uh, and you want to get at the altar and pray about what God might stir, be stirring in you to do in response to what his word has made clear. But I'm going to give you an invitation. This is an opportunity to respond. It's an opportunity for us to take the word. You know, the Bible says in the book of James in chapter one, that we need not be a people who are mere hearers of the word, but doers of the word, right? Because a man who simply hears the word and does nothing with it is like someone who looks in his mirror and does nothing about whatever it is that is reflected back in response. Well, God's word is a mirror. And when we held it up today, what was it revealing about how you and I see what it is that God has entrusted for us to steward? And so I hope that you would be obedient to respond. This is my invitation to each and every one of you. I'm going to pray. And when I say amen, of course, we'll worship in song. And you'll have an opportunity. The invitation is yours to respond if God has spoken to your heart. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for who you are and all that you've done. God, thank you for Jesus who so generously gave of his life. He, he lived in a way that we can't live. And he died with a death that we deserve. And he's risen in victory so we can have life with you forever. And so God, I pray that out of an abundance of that generosity of Jesus, that we would be a generous people who return to you what you have so obviously entrusted to us. Stir the hearts of your people, God, move in this place. We acknowledge if you're not in it, we don't wanna be a part of it. And so I'm dedicating, proclaim to you, Lord, and asking that you would move. I pray all of this in the name above every name, in Jesus' name, amen.